we celebrate what God is doing around the world. And a few weeks ago, I received an email from the district saying, one guy is free one particular Sunday morning. Do you want him? As soon as I saw his name, I said, yes, I was first. And we're going to have him here on October the 13th. Daryl's a missionary, been a missionary for the last 30-some years in the CNMA in some of the most difficult spots on the planet. Think of what it must have been like to be a missionary in Lebanon, Jordan, Syria, and now in North Africa. Of all places, that's where he's been serving. He's now in a creative access country. I'm not even allowed to share his last name of the country he's from. But you don't want to miss that day. Ken Furl is here this morning from our Alliance uh, family and sharing that legacy seminar that we've been announcing for the last few weeks, and there are still a few openings. So right after this service at 1215 in the cafe, if you want to take advantage of that and try to understand how to leave a legacy financially and in any many other ways to the next generation, uh, you'll want to take advantage of that today. How many of you sitting here this morning feel like you have a lot on your mind and feel like you have to remember a lot? I'm fascinated by the, that the longer I live, how amazing the mind is. The longer I've lived, I'm fascinated by the things that it can retain. And the longer I live, I'm fascinated by the things that it forgets. I mean, I get downstairs and I can't remember 30 seconds after I went downstairs why I went downstairs. What I'm most afraid of is that I won't remember where downstairs is one of these days. I go to the USA Today website for my homepage, and then I shut it off as I read the news for the day. And then every once in a while when I'm exploring something, I want to go back to Internet Explorer. I'll open it up. USA Today comes. I'll get sidetracked by an, an article of some kind. I can't remember why I went to Outlook to begin with. I've got post-it notes on my desk to remind me to do things that I can't forget, and then I forget to read the post-it note. I've got a reminder app on my iPad that I don't remember to look at on a regular basis. Now, any of you relate to that at all, or is it just me? Okay, a couple of you. I mean, between anniversary dates and birthday dates and children's dates and PIN numbers and card numbers and phone numbers and passwords and answers to security questions that I can't even remember the question, let alone what the answer I was supposed to put down. Like, you really remember your first dog. My mother's maiden name. I'm trying to remember my wife's maiden name. Who in the world ever comes up with some of these security questions? My first car. I don't remember. I'm 60 and I was 14. No, I should have been 16. Somewhere in that time frame. I mean, it fascinates me with all the things we have to remember. After all these years in ministries, four churches, missionaries and ministries around the world, 36 years of counseling people, over 200 weddings, four to 500 funerals, my wife will say to me something about an event, and I'll say, do you have any idea how many stories are running around in this head right now? I think I remember names really, really well. God has blessed me to be able to do that. But invariably on a Sunday morning, someone will come up to me and say, will you pray for me? And I'll say, what's your first name again? And I've known them for 18 years. The mind is a, an amazing thing. But man, does it have a tendency to forget. Someone said the constant bombardment of information and the tyranny of the urgent leaves us with that uneasy feelings that our minds are hopelessly cluttered. We find ourselves like John Steinbeck describes in one of his novels, casting about in Hazel's mind was like wandering alone in a deserted museum. Mind choked with uncluttered and uncategoried exhibits 
may never forget anything, but I'm telling you, they haven't arranged anything. Everything is thrown together in the mind like fishing tackle in the bottom of a boat. A cluttered mind possesses a unique danger in our lives. It makes us forget things sometimes that really matter most, and it ties even our walk with Christ. Every once in a while, we need to slow down, stop, and reflect. My wife and I do that on a regular basis when we get away. We did that this week for a, a few days, and yesterday I was speaking at a men's event, and the fella found out how many years I'd been married and was talking about our years together, and he says, hasn't it flown by? And I said, it has, but I can remember still falling head over heels in love with her. I can remember looking into those blue eyes. I can remember all the conversations we had. But if I'm really honest with you, looking at what we've done and what we have packed in, it would have taken us 40 years to get there. Every once in a while in our lives, we need to slow down. We need to stop. We need to reflect on how blessed we are, on what God's done, and where we are today. And communion gives us the best time to do that. One of the things that Jesus repeats over and over again in that section of Scripture that Paul reiterates and that the Gospels present is, remember me. Every time, every time you do this, remember me. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, how could we forget? But he obviously knew we had a tendency to do that. So he said, every time you do this, remember me. Didn't say how often. Or how many times a month or a year we're supposed to do it, but he said, every time you do it, remember me. I want to do something this morning that I just noticed a few weeks ago when I was putting this series together, and I want to take you back to Joshua. I'm going to read a lot, not all of it, but read a lot out of Joshua chapter 3, 4, and 5. And what I want to do in those three chapters is pull out four powerful truths and apply them all to communion. Joshua chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, iPad, iPhone, wherever you are, but I really want you there because there's some verses that I want to point out. I'm not going to read it all, but I want you to flow through it. And four incredibly powerful truths that I hope you have an opportunity to write down somewhere this morning. Now, we're in chapter 3. Joshua is preparing the children of Israel to cross the Jordan. Remember, they've already crossed the Red Sea. They did that with Moses, and God did some amazing things. Now they're about to do some things here that will blow their minds. And Joshua said, look, I want you to get ready. Matter of fact, in verse 5, he said, Consecrate yourselves because tomorrow the Lord's going to do some amazing things among you. And then he begins to describe what he wants them to do. Joshua said to the priests, I want you to take up the Ark of the Covenant. It's a visual symbol of the presence of God. And I want you to pass it ahead of the people. And so they took it up and they went ahead of them. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I'll begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel. And they'll know I'm with you just like I was with Moses. Now I want you to tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the Jordan River and the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Remember how Moses did it? He just tossed the water with a rod and it began to part. Something different here. God's always unique in that. Doesn't always do the same thing the same way so that we don't always look for formulas. Five things, five ways, and you'll be able to follow God. Doesn't work that way. God is unique and we can't confine him to a formula. Here he does something different. He wants them to go to the edge of the river, stand in it first. The waters don't divide till they stand in it, which is an enormous amount of faith, which is obviously what he wanted to test. So he tells them to do that. Listen, he goes on explaining. Verse 13. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream are going to be cut off and stand up in a heap. 
So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest. Now I want you to underline flood stage. Fascinates me that he puts that in here. Many critics down through the ages, when they talk about the parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites going over through the dry land to the other side, say, well, you know, the Red Sea really wasn't that deep. They picked a place that really wasn't that deep so that they could cross. It wasn't that big deal. God didn't do that many amazing things. They picked a place that was pretty shallow. They went through the water and got out the other side. Now, it fascinates me that that shallow water drowned the entire Egyptian army. But that's what they say. God here says, look, in case some skeptics come along the way, let me just identify forever of all time that this water is at flood stage. Now, if you've ever tried to cross a river when it's flowing rapidly, any of you are trying to do that? It's difficult to do. The rocks you can't see, you're not sure what's under it. The water is moving fast. He said, I want you to know this water is going to be treacherous. It's at flood stage, which means it's flowing fast. The water from the upstream, once their feet touched the ark or touched the Jordan, the water flowing upstream stopped flowing. Pat up in a heap, great distance away. The people crossed over opposite Jericho, verse 17. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped right in the middle of the Jordan. They stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry land. Chapter 4, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, God said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from right in the middle of the Jordan, right where the priests are standing. Carry them over with you. Put them down the place that you're going to stay tonight. So he tells them to do that. Each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. Verse 17. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. As they came up out of the river, carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, no sooner had their feet set on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to the place and ran again at flood stage as it did before. Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them. The Israel's, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you crossed over it. And before, before, until you crossed over it, the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he did to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us as we crossed over that. He did all of this so the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord. Chapter 5 is an awkward one, an interesting one, but it's about circumcising the new people that have made it this far. He goes on to tell them why he's asking them to do that in verse 4. This is why he had to circumcise the new warriors. All of them who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness. After leaving Egypt, all the people that came out had been circumcised, but people born in the wilderness during the journey had not. The Israelites had moved from the wilderness 40 years until all the men of military age when they left Egypt had died. Why? Because they had not obeyed the Lord. So he raised up their sons in their place. These are the ones that Joshua circumcised. Now verse 9 is the key. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And the place from now on has been called Gilgal. Now jump down to verse 13 of chapter 5. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, saw a man in front of him, 
with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and said, What message do you have? Does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place that you're standing on is holy. And Joshua did so. Four truths out of these three chapters. Number one, chapter three, the power of God to take us from where we were to where we are today. Chapter four, the need to remember. Chapter five, specifically verse nine, our past failures are gone. And then finally, the end of chapter five, our only response to all that God has done is submission and adoration. Truth number one. Every so often, as I said just a moment ago, you and I need to stop and reflect. We need to remember where we were, what God has taken us through, and where we are today. Now, for some of you, that may be a monumental event. If you stop long enough to imagine what it was like before you knew Christ, remember the life that you were living, the journey that you were on, the road that you were headed down, the path that you were on that was going to lead to destruction. And then somewhere along the way, someone led you to Christ. They shared Jesus with you, listened to a sermon, a message, you went to an event of some kind, and, or maybe just a friend led you to Christ, and all of a sudden, everything changed. And you realize now that your life's not near what it used to be. And maybe you remember that on a regular basis, but one of the things communion does is an opportunity for us to, like the Israelites, remember where we were, what God has taken us through, and where we are today. And every so often, we ought to stop and think about that. I remember what I was without Christ. I'm fascinated with the things he's done. I'm thrilled with where I am today. And I never want to forget that. Think about where we are as a church. Think about what God has done, what God has provided, the healings that have taken place, the salvations that have come, the people who have come to faith in Christ. Do you realize there's not a, a lot of 108-year-old churches that are vibrant and alive. 7,000 churches every single year in America close their doors. Think of what God's done. Think of the lives that have been changed. Think of the miracles that have taken place. In the CNMA, there are only four churches our size in the state of Pennsylvania, and in the CNMA, there's only less than 30 churches our size in the entire nation. That's not saying anything about how great we are. It's saying everything about how blessed by God we are. Do you realize how blessed by God we are? Look at this facility. Every so often, I never want to get so caught up in all the things that we do and the activities that go on here, which are constant and fast. I just want to stop and sit down and say, God, you're amazing. When I look at what you've done here, when I look at the lives that have been changed, the people who've come to faith in Christ, the healings that have taken place, I just want to stop and say thank you. We are so unbelievably blessed. Are we perfect? Of course not. But we certainly have been blessed. It's easy to look for the negative instead of focusing on the positive, and a lot of it has to do with the personalities, but every so often I just want to stop. I want to reflect. I want to remember. And I want to be incredibly thankful for what I've seen, what God's done, where I was, what he took me through, and where I am today. 
And communion is a great time to do that. The second truth is out of chapter 4. It's a very simple story. It's about the memorial stones that Joshua asked the priest to pick up, take out, take with them, and put on that specific place. And then he says this. Every time your children ask you, what do these stones represent? Tell them. Tell them what God did. Tell them the amazing things that God has done. In chapter 3, verse 5, he said, Consecrate yourselves, for, the, for tomorrow the Lord will do some amazing things among you. Amazing things. i got to believe that's an understatement. Can you imagine what it was like for them to be there that day when God parted the Red Sea? You talk about amazing things. I mean, the entire Red Sea, two million plus people and all of their belongings. You know what it's like to go on a trip? When we had kids, we went from a car to a minivan. Most of it was because had all that stuff that we were going to take with them, and we were just going to Grandma's house. I mean, these people are moving from one place to another, all of their possessions, all the food, everything necessary for 2 million-plus people to all of a sudden walk through the Red Sea. The waters divide, and there they are walking across with these high walls before them and around them. Then all of a sudden they get to the other side, and God collapses it on their enemies. Manna from heaven every day. I mean, manna from heaven every day. Water from a rock. And now this, the ability to walk through the Jordan River. When it was at flood stage, again, God stopped the water. Amazing things? Are you kidding me? I'm sure Joshua knew as well as God did the tendency of human nature to forget. And so he said, I want you to do something, whatever that would look like. In this case, he's very specific. I want you to take these stones, set them up, and every time you see them, I want you to remember what God has done. And I really want you to tell your children what you've seen God do. When my wife and I were in college, we got married early. I've told you that before. At 19, I was a sophomore. She was a freshman. We had all these years to go yet. Both had to work, doing everything we possibly could to survive. I still to this day will not eat another bologna sandwich. We ate so many bologna sandwiches during those years finishing college that I to this day will not eat another one. Every once in a while when a bill was needed or something that we had to do or just simply wanted some extra cash and we didn't know where it was going to come from or how the bill was going to get paid, we'd go to the campus center, open the mailbox, and there'd be a check. And we were stunned at that. A few years later, we went to our first church, and every single Sunday, I'd walk out of the front porch as I headed down to the church, and there on a little table on the front porch was a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. I mean, I'd, there was times that I wanted to stay up all night just to see who on earth was dropping off. And it took me months and months and months to realize that every Sunday, a guy who loved us would put down a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. At that time, we had kids, so we would tell them. We would show them. Thanksgiving blew us away. They brought in more food than anybody has ever seen in a lifetime in this little church, in this small community, to bless us like crazy. And we'd bring our kids in and say, look what God has done. Look at God, how, how, how God has blessed us. Never forget this. And now every once in a while, they'll call us and say, remember those stories you used to tell us about what God did at Nyack or what God did in Beaverdale? You'll never believe what God did and how God provided. I hope you have some way in your life, some way in your family heritage, some way in your family time to tell your kids what God has done. Never leave it unsaid or unknown so that later down the road they discover that something that God did and they have to say to you, you never told us that. And tell your kids 
how blessed by God you have been and what he has done and what he has provided. One of the main reasons that obviously Joshua and Moses said to them over and over again, remember what God has done, remember to tell your children, is because one of the ways to pass on information was that. It was telling the story over and over again. It's not like they had history books that everyone was writing in or they passed around. But I think, to be honest with you, one of the other reasons is because he knew human nature to forget. Someone has said a long time ago, I'm not even sure who said it, don't ever doubt in the dark what you know is true in the light. Never doubt in the middle of those dark times of life what you know is true in the light in that God loves you like crazy. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be by your side. He will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. Never forget in the dark what you know is true in the light. Communion is a great reminder of who we were, what God has done, and what we are today. Some will say, well, I've not seen a miracle lately. Really? You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul said, I just want you to know right now, you have no hope. We are of all people most cursed. Without Christ, we have no hope. And because of Jesus and you're receiving him as Savior, confessed your sins before him, accepted him into your life, knew that that was the only way to get through life, the only way to get to the future, was to confess your sins and ask Christ into your life and commit your life over to him. And the moment you did that, everything changed. You've got salvation, forgiveness, grace, an opportunity to start all over again. And by the way, heaven too. There's not a sail on the planet that will ever offer you all of that or anything close. Grace, forgiveness, the opportunity to start all over again, and heaven because of Christ. Truth number three is out of chapter five. Again, uh, an unusual setting, but I, I want to take you down to verse nine when he said to them, look, now I want you to know because of what's taken place. Today, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. It's no longer there. Every time we take communion, we hold these two elements in our hands. Once the plate is passed, you take the bread and you take the cup. And every time you hold these two elements, you're reminded of what Christ did on the cross, that all of our sins because of Christ are forgiven. And all our past is washed away, never to be remembered again. He casts them as far away. When I come to him and ask for forgiveness, he casts them as far away as the east is from the west. That's a long way apart. And he said, I'll never bring it up to you again. If it's brought up to you again, it's not me. Because I've forgiven it. You can knock on God's door 30 seconds after confession and talk to him. By the way, remember that thing we talked about? He'd honestly say no. It's forgiven. It's gone. I've seen too many people way too long carry their past around with them and keeps them, which keeps them from moving on. They carry baggage around with them. They carry their past around with them. When you come to faith in Christ, you are forgiven. Everything is gone. And every time I come to communion, I'm reminded, because of Christ and the day I accepted him as Savior, my past is gone. I don't have to carry it around with me anymore. And I'm a new creature in Christ. Communion is a powerful reminder that because of the blood of Christ, all my sin is washed away. For truth, it's out of the last few verses of chapter 5, and that is our response to all of that God has done. 
Now, Paul clarifies it this way in Romans chapter 12 when he begins by saying, look, in light of everything I just told you in these 11 chapters, your most natural, reasonable response is to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Matter of fact, that's your only response. I don't know what else you could do based on what you've known God, what you've known God just did. Fascinating story where Joshua is facing the messenger of the Lord. Some will say it's an archangel of God. Many theologians will say it's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Unique things out of that interaction between them. Three that came to my mind. One is that when <laughs> Joshua asked the question, are you for us or for our enemies? He said, look, neither. And the point I believe that God is asking us that he's not interested in taking sides. He's interested in taking over. He's not interested in taking sides. He's interested in taking over. And once he does, everything changes. The second thing out of that is that I at least immediately went to in my mind is out of Romans when Paul said, with God on our side, who can be against us? Matter of fact, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither life or death or angels nor demons nor powers or presence of the future, anything else, neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The third thing that I thought of out of this interaction of Joshua with this high commander of God is the only thing we could do is bow and worship in adoration. And so this morning, we're going to end that way. Never forget where you were, what he's taken you through, and where you are today. Pass it on to your next generation. Maybe it is your kids. Maybe it's your grandchildren. But never forget what God has done. And every so often, stop and pause and reflect. Just absorb what he has done, where he has taken us, and where we are today because of him. Remember, because of the blood of Christ, all our sins are forgiven. So don't carry it around anymore. Celebrate the fact that I am free and a new creature in Christ. And then as we end this morning, do what I think Joshua couldn't help but do, and that is worship and adore. Father, every time we hold these elements, you tell us to remember you. How could we forget? But obviously you knew human nature would be to forget. So Father, allow us during these just incredible moments to remember what you've done, what you've provided, and who we are in Christ. And to say thanks. The gentlemen are going to come. They're going to pass out the elements right now.